And welcome back to another Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. Today we're talking about the Awareness to Action uh, process of change. If you listened last week, we kind of went through the triangle and what each of those points represented as um, the ways in which we write our stories. Now, let's say we have a story that is not useful and we want to continue to grow, to change, to evolve. I think this is kind of the quintessential thing that makes awareness action, awareness to action what it is. It actually gives you tools for change instead of just stop it and do something <laughs> different. <laughs> just, just stop it. Just stop it. And by the way, if, if, if our listeners have not watched that Bob Newhart clip uh, on, on YouTube, uh, it's just favorite. stop it. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So, yeah. so look it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So... Mario, Mario, you talked a lot episode. So why don't, why doesn't Maria Jose take? You mean in the previous 27 episodes I talked <laughs> yeah. a lot? Is that what you're saying? You, you know, I was thinking that there are many pieces of the Awareness to Action Enneagram approach that I really like. I mean, I like all of it, but if I had to choose one, to me, the highlight of the whole approach is this. It is this understanding of how we can change that allows for growth in people, that allows for people to feel seen when we're working with them, to people to feel that it's possible to grow when we consider the things that are part of these um, awareness to action uh, process. So I feel very passionate about it and I I don't know, I use it all the time with people that I work with, with myself, with uh, the people I interact with when I'm, when there's a need for change. Now, it doesn't really start with, oh, I need to change my story. It starts with a problem. So we are facing a situation where what we're doing is not working. Or we feel that it's working and somebody else is telling us, well, you know, it's not working. It's affecting me. So it going to the story and uh, it's the second step. But first it is, okay, what is it that we want to change? And then how does the story that I have around it affect the things that I'm doing, how I'm seeing the world and how I'm reacting to it? And then I go and do something different. When I change my story to one that is more effective, I can go on and change my behavior. But at that point, it will make sense to me. It's not like I'm forcing myself to change my behavior. It's something that feels authentic. And that's why we call the three points awareness first of what I'm doing and what I need to change. Authenticity. What's a, an authentic story that I can create or refresh uh, that I feel like it's still me, but it addresses the situation more effectively. And then I go to action and create new or practice new behaviors. Is training like a muscle. Uh, that's the process in, kind of in summary. And especially the authenticity piece, it's key. Because we usually say, okay, this is what I need to change. I'll start doing this. But it feels unnatural. It feels inauthentic. It feels that it's not aligned who, with who I really am. So here we address that piece and makes change more sustainable. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, can I just comment, Maria uh, Jose captured that perfectly. I just want to point out that we don't have to wait for some problem to come along to work on ourselves, right? And that sense of dissatisfaction Maria Jose was talking about could just be, I want to improve, right? I feel like I want to improve. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you know, because sometimes we get accused of, you know, not doing proactive self-development stuff and you know that's but even case. in that case so, when i want mm-hmm. to improve there must be some something that it's not working exactly it's, right it's everything if everything is working then why bother change is difficult yeah. it, it requires right. a lot of energy and if everything's going fine but what are the odds that everything well, is going fine i feel like well, that's that yes. is the issue right yeah. but but what it is is everything might be going fine in this part of my life but not this other part of my Mm-hmm. Okay, I just I just want to be clear that you know I think to your point here, Creek is we're doing this every day, right? It's it's mm-hmm. not like you know we're just sitting around for months at a time until some problem pops up and then we say, oh, I better apply the awareness to action process. No, this is this is something you're doing every day, right? If if you're doing the work, you're constantly reevaluating your stories. You're constantly thinking of okay, how is my preferred strategy? limiting the scope of my story in a way that's making it difficult for me to change my behaviors. Because this is what happens. Right. Jose, talk about the conflicting commitment, if you would. Okay, so but I would like to start with awareness first. Because it's, uh, so what we do in the first step of awareness is think about the situation, think about what we think the problem is, and spend some time refining it because many times what we think the problem is is not really the problem so or it's too broad so for example people say oh i get too scattered or uh, i need to focus more and it feels like it should be every moment in every situation and it doesn't need to be so what is really hurting me at the moment that i should focus more on and And then I say, okay, so I'll focus more on, for example, creating my website or my social media posts or things that are very specific because if I want to focus on everything, it will be nothing. So that's the first step, awareness. I think about in which domain, what's the, what are the implications, what is it, what's the specific behavior that I want to change and what do I want the behavior to be? And there's like a double check that we have to make. And it is, what would happen if I don't change it? And if the answer is nothing, then reconsider changing because there must be a cost of doing what we're doing uh, that we want to change. But then it's like we know intellectually that we have to change, but there's a part of us that resists that change. And... That is the conflicted commitment you were talking about, Mario, right? So we understand that I want to focus on this, uh, for example, on my social media or my website development. But then there's a part of me that says, if I focus too much on something, I lose opportunities. It's not fun, for example. And if I'm a seven, I will not want to spend too much time on something or might not be, want to, because it's 
boring. It's too much time on something and I'll lose opportunities of having fun somewhere else. It's not exciting anymore when it's too much, when it's uh, every day that I have to do it, for example. So there's a conflict and commitment. There's a part of me that understands that I need to make that change. But there's a part of me that resists it because it go, it feels like it goes against my preferred strategy. So if my preferred strategy is striving to feel excited and the new behavior, the story around the new behavior is that it is not exciting, I will not do it. I will avoid all those things that don't feel exciting. I think some examples here would be useful because this is, this is a yeah. fundamentally important part right here. Maria Jose said in the last episode that we have a tendency to say, okay, I need to change, so I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to start doing that, and then we don't do it. Okay, Why don't we do it? Because we don't address this thing that Maria Jose is talking about right now, this conflicting commitment. And I have to say that this piece was inspired by reading Robert Keegan's book, uh, how the way we talk changes the way we work. Um, at the same time, I was reading Maitreya Naranjo, and he has kind of a four-step process of, you know, Immunity to this. change. But with the Enneagram... There's the what's process that? is called immunity to change, or the concept, yeah. Yeah, that, w- yeah, that was yeah. his later book, um, you know, after that one. And um, so it's all about identifying and resolving a conflicting commitment. And this is why I get so frustrated when I hear these superficial approaches to the Enneagram telling people, oh, well, just go against your nature. If you're an eight, just be vulnerable. Just open up. Everything will be fine. If you're a two, you know, you got to think about yourself. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah, with the one, it's like everything is perfect as it is. Just go. (laughs) (laughs) Things are as they should be. But here, but here's what happens is because, yeah, okay, I might tell myself that, but at an emotional level, if you're telling an eight, just be vulnerable, you have to realize that they have a lifetime message that tells them you need to be powerful. And probably the way of being powerful is to not be vulnerable. So instead, you have to work on a narrative that feels authentic, that respects this fundamental drive and you have to frame it as you know what you'll be more powerful in a healthier way if you do this to a one you know you'll be actually more perfect if you do this instead of that if you say to a four you'll actually be more unique and in a healthier way if you do this instead of that now you got my attention now you're motivating me towards something Mm -hmm. rather than away from it and an ex- uh, a good example of this is, um, so it hasn't been released yet, uh, but uh, we interviewed a few different people and people of color that were critiquing the idea of, of just this like, well, your truest, your truest best self is when you are vulnerable. And in their experience, like vulnerability is in some ways a privileged thing. Because a, a black woman who's an eight, she shows up powerful and she gets shut down. And so like there's a different way of being um, an eight where like vulnerability is not an option for a lot of people that have to really show up in an extra strong way in order to just be heard. That's a wonderful point about how 
so much of the trite Enneagram that exists out there that is so popular is just worthless and stupid and insulting to people who are struggling with real issues, okay? Uh, real challenges, real pain. You know, you, you tell a nine, stand up for yourself. Well, it's not that easy. You're, you're, di- you're, you're dismissing and diminishing my worldview that I have developed and evolved through years of suffering of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. And you're going to sit here and tell me, just reject that and do something else because I think that's the better thing to do? And it, could, and it could actually lead to even more entrenchment exactly of that belief. Right. You're exactly right. Yeah, go ahead. Say more on that. because I, I, Yes. I mean, I remember I was talking with a guy um, who was trying to encourage me to take more chances. And he's like, you know what you should do? You should go to a fancy restaurant and you should just lay on the floor and just be okay with laying on the floor. You should punch f- that person in the face, whoever it was. <laughs> yeah. I, it just, I'm, I'm sorry. But, yeah, yeah and I'm like, okay. okay. That, may be an int- that may be a magical potion that will finally cure me of caring what other people think, right? Maybe. But also, it's like that also just seems fraught with a lot of other issues that... I think are better addressed in more of a long form uh, change than just a short term fix it. It seems reckless rather than actually helpful. And that short term, long term thinking analysis, it's the key to understanding and wanting to change your story. Because many times what we're doing is finding a short term reaction or behavior that we think will satisfy this fundamental drive of trying to feel perfect or connected or powerful. And we don't realize that in the long term, it's not really satisfying it. So for example, as a one, when I'm thinking about my daughters and the perfect way of being a mother, many times I'm thinking about what I need to do now and the impact today of it. And then I realized that if I'm trying too hard to do the right thing that it's in the books of the perfect mother, then I'm angry all the time and I'm stressed. And that's really not the perfect relationship that I want with my daughters. So I've realized that if I let go of certain things in terms of, I don't know, eating or how they dress or how much they tidy up their rooms or not. If I let go of that, our relationship is better. And that's the perfection that I'm looking for, not that they have the tidiest room ever. And it's not saying forget about being perfect at all. It's I really find perfection all the time, which allows me to integrate other behaviors that were not available for me before. But it's it has to be with a bigger, broader, more longer term description of perfection. And that applies to all the types. When people say the whole like, just just trust that life is perfect. <laughs> um, maybe we've addressed this already, right? Which, yeah, no, it's not. I'm always, happy, not to, I'm always happy to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but what I think, what I think, because there is, 
there's something helpful in that. And I want to try to grab that nugget away from all the, the, the crap surrounding it of understanding your power and ability in your capacity to handle and to your capacity to change and to interact with this hard thing. I think that that's a, a way to makes us make us feel better about the situation to be able to handle it. But who knows, maybe some people won't be able to handle it. You know, some people will not survive certain things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's dismissive. Whenever I hear somebody say, you know, oh, the world is as it is, or the world's perfect as it is, something like that. Again, I just, I, I just think how disrespectful that is of anyone who's suffering. Okay? Mm-hmm. We're doing this podcast a, a few weeks after an earthquake killed 50,000 people in Turkey and Syria. And somebody's going to tell me that, well, the world, you know, the, the universe is perfect as it is. Everything happens for a reason. No. Right. Screw that. Right. It happened. And we have to deal with the fact that it happened. We have to accept that it happened. But don't tell me it's as it should be, or it's perfect, or there's a reason behind it. There's a reason. The reason is because tectonic plates shifted and the construction was really bad. <laughs> the question now is what do we yeah. do about it? But don't insult me. And also don't throw stupid quick fixes at me, like lay on a restaurant floor. I mean, that's just stupid, okay? And you th- when you think through that, okay, number one, God knows what's on that restaurant floor, okay? And, (laughs) you know, and you could get arrested, you know? I mean, you know, there's just so many reasons why that's just, I don't mean to disrespect your friend here, Creek, but But there's just so many reasons why that's. (laughs) 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 But it's also offering false hope to somebody, Mm -hmm. okay? Because as you've both been saying, Change requires hard work over time. And we, the one thing I want to be very clear about this, we are not telling fours to just be a four and love it, okay? You know, hold on to your story because that's your. No, we're telling you to rewrite your story in a way that keeps the same theme but gets you better results in life over time. And it's something you have to keep doing over and over and over again, right? The story is never done, okay? And again, if we get back to this clarification of the ego that we talked about previously and the clarification of butter, it happens slowly, okay? And it's iterative. And when we are rewriting our stories, we're rewriting it over and over, day after day, in the beginning, that story is constricted and it's tight and it's like, it's like chains or handcuffs or a rope tying us up and limiting our ability to move and to act. But eventually the binds get looser, right? And we can move more. And as the story gets rewritten, it becomes more porous, becomes more fluid, It's like, you know, think of a a rock being thrown into a pond, you know, in the ripples. And as they ripple outward, they get lighter and lighter and lighter, okay? And the story is always there, but at some point we have so much space within it that we can be or do whatever we want. 
I don't have to act in my typically foolish ways. I can still be somebody who's basically striving to feel unique and experience all the joys of that, but not be constricted. Okay, I can act mm-hmm. in ways that are healthier. That's the work. Mm-hmm. And that's authenticity. That's authenticity. Okay, Authenticity is writing a story that is more true than the one we have. As an eight, my stories, my dysfunctional stories, are all about power over others. I can't be nice to people because if I'm nice to people, I'll be weak. If I'm weak, I'll be vulnerable. Something will happen. I won't be powerful. Then I start to say, hmm, you can actually be really powerful by being nicer to people. But each of us, okay, we, we talk about twos for a moment, okay, striving to feel connected. Well, I have to be a helper. I have to give up my own needs because if I don't, you're not going to be connected to me. And then you, the two starts to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm either running from these people that I feel are imposing upon me or they're running from me because I'm being too intrusive. Mm-hmm. And I'm undermining my real ability to connect. So the work that we do with twos is you'll actually be more connected with people if you give them more space, if you have effective boundaries. And boundaries are not walls that separate us. They're something that let us know where my space is and your space is, and we will have a better relationship because of it. So this is the process, right? It's picking out whatever somebody's story is and helping them rewrite it in a way that gets them what they want in an effective, productive, adaptive way rather than keeping them trapped. Because if you tell them to reject it, they will not be able to change. They will not be able to stick with it. When we're thinking about kind of Enneagram people, they would probably say rejected or some people. But if you think about just coaches or people who work with others in general, they will skip that step. And they will go yes. from the need to change to the actions and not address this need to respect the story based on the preferred strategy. So it's funny because usually people most times know what they need to change and they know what they should do. They just don't want to change because it's kind of threatening their ability to feel how they want to feel in their minds because they're distorting it because of the stories they have. So when you work with them, it's like unlocking that resistance and creating a desire to change. And that's the key. I think there, there, is, a, there is a way in which we can reject stories that aren't working, right? The, the distorted sure. version sure. of that type sure. um, and that strategy. I think that's important to yes. recognize when some, to be like, oh, oh no, that's not working. That's okay to reject. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, look, you know, again, if our story is, I'll be more powerful by dominating everybody around me. Well, yeah, you've got to reject that story. Mm -hmm. But you can't, but you have to write it to, rewrite it to, I can continue to feel powerful by understanding that I am strong and I can afford to be nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in fact, the more I'm nice the less threatened I'll feel. Right. Okay. So can we 
Can we talk about that a little bit? Because what what I'm hearing there is like there's an there's a there's a flip where you're starting to look at yourself. Like for me, right? The the way I can be more unique is not trying to be more unique, but rather to recognize that I'm just inherently unique because I that's it's me. Like I'm just I'm the only one that's existing in this body, at least at this moment, in this yeah. universe. Yeah. You're a snowflake. And, I'm. So, <laughs> I'm a resilient snowflake. Okay. Um, yes, I, I didn't mean it in the uh, you know in the in the, uh, the the weak you know sort of way. Yeah, but yeah, you, sure. you're unique, right? So. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that flip of recognizing the thing within yourself that that is your capacity to be powerful or um, or, or or unique or distinct. Um, so what what is that process to? What if people don't actually see the uniqueness or, or have a hard time believing that they are actually outstanding without doing all these outstanding things? So usually when we're working with someone, we get them to think about, okay, what does it really mean to be outstanding? Okay. What does it really mean to be perfect? Um, I was doing a workshop one time and there was a woman who was a type one. And the thing she wanted to work on was learning to stop nag, nagging her husband about leaving his socks on the floor. And she was talking about how it really damaged the relationship. And what she, she really wanted it was he, her husband to stop doing it. <laughs> right. And, right. And so, so I asked her, I said, you know, well, what do you really want? You know, do you want a more perfect husband or do you want a more perfect relationship? She said, well, I want a a more perfect relationship. And I said, okay, well, does a, you know, in a more perfect relationship, do we tend to be more forgiving of each other? Do we come up with compromises, et cetera? Or do we nag, you know, and fight over things that might not be important? Oh, well, yeah, okay. So she started to understand that, okay, compromising and, you know, these other things would make a better marriage which is what she really wanted. Which is not to say you can't address the problem. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Right. Because again, um, uh, acceptance is not abdication. Okay. It doesn't mean you can't change things. Okay? Mm-hmm. But it's the tone in which we go about these things that matters. Right. And that's where the whole focus would be. Okay. So when he does it next time, is it, perfect to yell at him to get angry to start a fight over it or is it to have a conversation about you know keep doing this we keep having this conversation here's how i feel when you do it. you know so there are different ways to go about making something more perfect yeah but we don't go to from i need to do all these things <clears throat> in order to feel perfect to i don't need to do anything to feel perfect it's like right. expanding the story that we have around what we need to do to feel perfect. So more things fit in our story or different things, but we expand it. So for example, as a one, certain things are perfect in my more rigid story, but then making mistakes is more perfect because people see me as a perfect human being that it's complete or... Um, doing things that are not allowed in public uh, feels more perfect. Like laying on the restaurant floor. Yeah, right? because, no, not that. <laughs> uh, because, 
because I'm happier, you know, I'm more relaxed and more relaxed is more perfect. So I, I continue to expand my story about what perfection is for me. And it includes more behaviors, more um, emotional states. And then at some point I could do anything and still feel perfect. But I don't, it's not binary. It's not, I don't go from I need to do all these things to I don't need to do anything. It's more and more things feel, fit into this story that I have about how I'll feel perfect until I can do what I want. I was watching one of these entertainment television shows, these, you know, Entertainment Tonight or something years ago. And the woman, the reporter, was interviewing the rapper. 50 cent and I don't know if you know anything about him but he's a big muscular guy he survived being shot nine times you know pretty tough guy and so she goes and visits him in his trailer he was on a movie set or something and she comments to him you know I'm really surprised meeting you because you're really nice you're kind and gracious you know because he's offering her tea and you know this and that and she said, he says, well, why are you surprised? He says, I don't know. I just thought you'd be, you know, tougher and angry. And he said, look, I know I can be tough. And that gives me the ability to be nice. Hmm. Okay. So by recognizing the strengths of our strategy and the strengths that it equips us with and becoming more confident in them and understanding that there are many, many ways to express them, we always have that fallback, right? All right, I, I can go back to it. If I need to, if it's important for something to really be perfect, okay, if I'm performing heart surgery, okay, I'm going to lean into the perfect thing. Mm -hmm. But if it's holding me back, I just, yesterday, two days ago, I was having a call with a client, type three, senior leader in an organization. And like so many threes I've worked with, their big issue is that they got to where they are they got to where they are by being an outstanding doer. I do more, I do better, I do faster than you. And that's why I got promoted. And now I'm your boss and I'm frustrated because you're not doing as good as well as fast as I am. So I end up doing the work. And then I'm frustrated because I'm working 14 hours a day. So the conversation I have with threes is, okay, you got to where you are by being an outstanding doer, and that has served you well. And now it's not serving you well. So let's think about being an outstanding leader. Because leaders are different from doers. And what are the behaviors of an outstanding leader? And how can I start developing those? Okay. And they start to see, oh, I need to start incorporating these behaviors that I was afraid would undermine my success. But now I realize they'll actually enhance my ability to feel outstanding in a way that makes everybody around me happier and that makes me happier. Mm -hmm. And we can't get much more out of life than that. Uh, so working with a, with a client who has a hard time letting themselves relax and to do fun things because they're afraid that if they relax and do fun things, then they'll just end up being a couch potato for the rest of their lives. So they have to keep producing and doing and all these other things, and it's, it's burning them out. So in that situation, what would be the, the protocol to 
work with them through <laughs> letting themselves enjoy life a little bit. So for me, it has to start with identifying the you know what what is at the what's that nugget at the heart of their narrative, right? Are they are they doing those things because they're a one? Are they doing those things because they're a three or a six? Right, a six, right? Um, and then start asking, okay, what is the thing that you're really striving for? Is it feeling secure? Is it feeling outstanding? Right. And then we start looking at the circumstances and start looking at how alternative behaviors can help them get what they really want in the long term more consistently than their existing behaviors get them in the short term. And this is an important thing we haven't touched on this yet, Maria Jose, this difference between short term and long term. I did address it. Thinking. Oh, you did? Okay, I was not listening. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't late. talking, so I wasn't listening. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> anyone I'm talking, I'm not listening. So, yeah, yeah. all right. So, um, uh, so it's all about how do I get more of this thing rather than less? But what is the thing I want is the key. When you were describing the situation, Craig, you were saying they don't relax and... What if they could relax a little? And that's the key. It has to be a little. Because in their minds, they're distorting, yes. relaxing to becoming kind of lazy, not doing anything. And that's the distortion that you need to address by creating a goal for change that it's very specific. So what are we talking yeah. about here? Is it taking weekends off? Or is it doing sports once a week? Or what is it really that we're talking about? So that it, it's not distorted anymore and it's very concrete because we know that in their minds, it's big, it's binary. It's either I work or I just, I'm on the couch, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything. So you need to create a goal for change that it's very, very specific and actionable. And this is the action piece, right? So we have awareness, authenticity is rewriting the story action it's always got to be baby steps it's always got to be something simple okay mm -hmm. just like everything else in life okay don't try to change everything all at once don't try to become different pick one thing when i have you know clients uh, for example a classic eight thing is being nicer to people right so i don't tell them you need to be nice to everybody i say i want you to pick three people that you encounter most days and focus on being nice to them. Baby step tangible, because it reinforces the behavior. So if you want to relax and you're working with that person, I mean, if you want that to help that person relax a, a little and say, okay, how would that look? Okay, I would, I don't know, take an afternoon off or... So when you're about to do it, how do you feel? What do you say to yourself? And, and there you start finding out what's the obstacle. And it might be that it's, that if I rest, people will think this of me, or that if I rest, mm. I'll be lazy, or if I rest, I will never do that. Or, And that is the narrative that we need to address. Because mm -hmm. they said, well, I know that nothing's going to happen. Well, but there's a reason why you're not doing it. So... <laughs> Try to, under, tr yeah. try to uh, become more aware of what is it that you say to yourself. And then you find the story that it's preventing you from changing. 
And mm. then you say, as Mario was pointing out, okay, so you don't rest and you continue working. Uh, so in the short term, it looks like you're not going to feel that way. But in the long term, you will anyway. So, for example, if, if the case is that the person is a six, they distort the um, neglected strategy of striving to feel peaceful because they feel like they will become lazy. But what they're doing is that they're either procrastinating anyway or they're too anxious and too tired. And in the long term, they're not paying attention to the things in a good way or they, it has a cost in the long term and they need to see it. When they mm -hmm. do, they say, okay, I thought my story was working for me, but it's not really working. And then they open up to changing the story when they realize that it's not working for them, especially in the long term. And then say, okay, so what would be a long-term story that would help you feel even more secure? Mm -hmm. Okay, if I rest one evening a week or whatever, I'll feel more 15 secure, minutes 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. I'll be able to pay attention to what I, what's more important and then I'll feel more secure even more secure mm -hmm. if I do that. So it's not that I'll feel less secure if I rest. I feel more, even more secure if I rest because I'll be sharper when the situation is more important. You know, so right. that's how you do it. So then when you say, okay, so every Tuesday you'll do this, they want to. And that's the important thing. It's like it creates more space. It's like they can breathe. Now they know they have to do that and they want to because it fulfills a need they have around their preferred strategy. Mm -hmm. How I've been framing it is active recovery where it's like how, how like this is this is this is a part of the the muscle building process, right? Yeah. Like this yeah. this is this is activity. This isn't just sitting there. This is active recovery. So we're going to go on a walk. Right. Right? We're going right. to do something that is restorative. Um, but, and this harkens back to what you were just saying, MJ, about uh, back to the self-awareness episode, we were just saying, just continue to name the friction and the issues until the cost is so high that you're like, oh, I got to get out of this. And then change can actually happen. So uh, I'll, I'll just reiterate how important, again, number one, respecting the preferred strategy, right? Respecting that it has gotten us this far and it has served us well. And there's nothing wrong with it. We just need to work on redefining it. Mm -hmm. Again, expanding it. And this is the beauty, right? So, you know, one of the ways to get a horse to be comfortable is to expand the amount of space it has in the pen, right? And, you know, when it has more space, it doesn't feel the need to buck against the rails. Mm -hmm. okay? And the same thing happens with this preferred strategy. If my, you know, if my need to feel powerful feels under assault, it's going to act out. But if I give it space, if I honor it, I respect it, I expand it, then I can be whoever I want to be within that space. And this is what we're striving for, greater flexibility of response. Okay. 
And we can only get that greater flexibility of response if our narrative is more permeable. And the only way we can do this is piece at a time, piece at a time, little baby steps over and over and over again. And when you yeah, don't so. respect your client's preferred strategy, that's t those stories, yeah. you lose them. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's exactly right. That's a whole other point. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much, listener, for tuning in. Hopefully this is helpful, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. 